We're making an ad. Napping yeah. ad. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> so um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The <laughs> Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants. But those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Horror Movie Night! Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. Yeah! Matt, I am weirdly excited to talk about this week's episode because for two reasons. Reason number one is that when I bought the Even Worse record, actually the three reasons. Reason number one, when I bought the Even Worse record, I very quickly was like, ooh, he does a Beastie Boys thing. And this like skyrocketed to one of my favorite songs on the record as a kid. Uh Number two, I would always bring this up when people would try to claim that like, Oh, Amish Paradise was the first time Al tried his hand at uh, doing a rap track. And I was like, false. <laughs> false. This is the first time he tries rap, yeah. which is interesting. I feel like that does not get enough. It doesn't get enough credit for that. It's no. his first foray into hip hop. And three, the Beastie Boys still to this day. I would say that Weird Al and Beastie Boys still live somewhere in my top 10 musicians of all time. Uh, so for the same amount of vast absurd knowledge i have about weird al i have probably as much if not a little bit more about the beasties uh Great. so this song got me super excited twister is an ode to the milton bradley game twister uh performed in the style of the beastie boys when yankovic was recording the song he initially recorded 20 different vocal takes however when it came time to pick the right take he opted for the first one because it sounded more raw and off the cuff and it was the last song recorded for even worse Wow. Yeah. Yes, I I saw that note about him saying he used the first take because everything else sounded too uh, coherent. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it needed to feel like it was just chaotic yelling over it to to capture the Beastie Boys uh, energy that he was going for on this track. Well, and the Beastie Boys, credit where credit's due, and he does capture this aspect of the Beastie Boys. I have performed three different Beastie Boys tribute sets with two other people three different sets yeah we did sets like 20 minute sets where we covered beastie boys and the heart if you decide that you want to cover the beastie boys as like a set if you you and two other friends want to do it the hardest thing to nail down is the quickness in which they can trade off of each other on certain tracks um only comparable 
I would say comparably to Run DMC, but Run DMC, there's just the two of them. So you kind of can just bounce back and forth with like mm-hmm. a track like Peter Piper, where it's like, yeah, you know, Peter Piper, pick peppers, pick like, peppers, and run wrapped rhymes. Yeah. But like, <laughs> but like doing something like what the Beastie Boys do, where it is like mid sentence, three of them jumping on top of the track and just saying like two or three words before the next person yeah. jumps on. Like the, the, they did something that you do not see in in stuff like the wu-tang clan isn't having like method man old dirty bastard and and rizza interrupting each other on one person's verse like it's each person gets their verse and i've always if i could do if i could interview the beastie boys my number one question would actually be about like how do you write that stuff like (laughs) like does mca write out his verse and then say i think it'd be cool if I say the first three words of this and then add rock. You need to jump in for these three and MCA jump in for these three. Sure, yeah, or are yeah. you sitting in a room, like <laughs> literally thinking of how you're going to do that? Like it's, it's very, I'm very curious about the construction of that, but yeah, for sure. No, I, I was gonna say it's clearly uh, their biggest influence uh, at this point, especially in their career was run DMC. Like yes. that was what they were going for. They were trying to capture that run DMC uh, vibe and are so good at it. I mean, on the first Beastie Boys record, they even do uh, a just straight cover of a Run DMC song. So, um, well, I agree yeah, with you. I don't know how they do that either, but um, yeah, there's something so incredibly slick and flawless about it. There's, um, I don't know if this was the absolute last thing. And it's also, I don't think it's on YouTube right now, which is a tragedy, but I always have to look it up on a weird site. But I think it was the last performance that they did on television before um, Adam died. Yeah. Um, was they went on Jimmy Fallon and they were promoting a reissue of Check Your Head. Mm-hmm. At the end of the interview, they get up and they do So What You Want with The Roots yes, playing I... the track. And it is, it's it, it's sad because at the time no one knew that Adam was sick, but now you can see it. Like he's moving slowly and he seems to be like not quite 100%. But they are so good at, again, the the way that the three of them play off of each other at all times is one of the most masterful. And then with the roots is the backing band. It is one of the best like live TV performances I have ever seen in my entire life. And you might have to like look on daily motion or one of these less. I think copyright. I literally just got it on a TikTok. I think really? someone should, like one of the TikTok pages, like MTV archive. There's a couple of those where it's just live performances of songs. BC boys doing so what you want on Jimmy Fallon. Look it up. It is just absolute. It's it's just such a testament to how incredible performers they were. They I would were also put incredible. I would also put on there my favorite my favorite television performance of all time is also a Beastie Boys performance, mm. but it's them on Letterman doing uh what was it check it out check to check to check it out yeah and it's the one where they literally start in the subway system and they are wrapping through the streets of New York into the studio for the last verse. That's right, and it's just. It's like, God, the raw talent of these motherfuckers and and being dudes who I think the Beastie Boys is such an interesting story, right? It's three kids who were in a punk rock band. Their drummer in the punk rock band goes on to form Luscious Jackson, which I think is such a crazy piece of that story. They put out this album that's essentially making fun of frat boys in the style of Run DMC. Mm -hmm. And then it quickly gets co-opted by the very people that they were mocking. They then do a total shift in their sound for their next record, basically 
do so much sampling that they break sampling and like yeah and poor poor Bismarcky is the one that gets like I was thrown say, in front of the bullets because it's of funny it. Bismarcky took the hit but the Beastie Boys were really the thing because that yeah. album that was all for people who don't know the Beastie Boys record Paul's Boutique is it's entirely, like 250 samples it's insane. they don't even know how many samples are on the record because <laughs> right. they were so stoned none of them could remember but um they made using tape loops it's hard to even explain how difficult this would have been to do at the time that they did this in the eighties. And it's them with the but dust brothers, like with the dust brothers. This was what started the dust brothers career. Basically they were around, but this was like a big thing. And, uh, um, using only samples of existing songs created beats for a hip hop record. I think every single sound in the backing tracks you hear on that record is a sample of something else. The way that I tried to explain it to someone when I first, cause I was late to the Paul's boutique party. I had heard so many people be like, Oh, that's their worst album. Like in the late nineties that I was like, Oh, it was okay. such a failure when it came out. Yeah. Like, yeah. so when I finally sat down and listened to it and just something like shake your rump, the way that yeah. I described it to people was, I was like, it doesn't even sound like they're rapping over rap music. Like no. it sounds like they're rapping over what like would later be like the prodigy or mm -hmm. like these like kind of electro techno groups where, you know, like a prodigy song, there's a great TikTok channel. I can't remember what their handle is. So I apologize to them where they will take a song like the prodigy and it'll be the album at the top and it'll be playing like smack my bitch up and it'll play mm -hmm. a track of that. And then it jumps down and it plays you the exact snip from the, the original that song they used. and yeah. like when you're watching you're like holy shit this like 30 second loop of this song is like nine different samples stacked on yeah. top of each oh, other it's insane like, it's insane and again <laughs> nowadays yeah, to do pro that tools, on a computer yeah. with pro tools or logic or any of these programs it's so easy at this point it's literally a room of tape machines that are looped like a single piece of tape that is just playing in a loop and they have to get all of these machines to synchronize in a way that everything is playing perfectly in time and then take all of that and bounce it to a single other tape and then just repeat that process for every like shake your rump especially has i feel like that song alone has a hundred samples in it like the yeah. way that it just moves it nothing repeats itself everything comes back differently than the time before it it is one of, I mean, I to me, I think Paul's Boutique is one of the best albums I've, of all time. I've said, and Chris Mathias has definitely mocked me for this opinion before on One Hit Thunder, but I have said that if you ask me what the most important, greatest hip-hop record ever made was, I would probably give it to Paul's Boutique, Beastie Boys, because it is a record that will never be duplicated. It will never be recreated. It can't like, be now. I mean, like, at, at, like at the time, sampling was such a novel, and hip-hop was new, so the idea of sampling something was not... It was just like, oh, okay, you're going to use it and recontextualize it, but nobody had lifted. No, it feels so more much. like a girl talk record than an actual. It Beastie feels like Boys a girl talk record now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clearly, a girl talk big influence from this type of stuff. But yeah, nobody had dared to like lift like actual phrases and lyrics from like the Ramones or Johnny Cash as the, or the Led uh, Zeppelin. Did. They're like or sampling Led Zeppelin. a ton of Led Zeppelin and the Beatles. The, the Beatles are in there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's uh, the, the uh, orchestral music from Psycho. Yeah. Like they, well, they are layered, all these things. That, that's yeah. my favorite. It's the orca. It's the music. It's the shower scene from Psycho laid over top of the first attack scene from Jaws. Yep. So you're hearing the orchestra from psycho but you're still getting the like dun 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 cellos mm -hmm. underneath it with the sound of the both women being attacked yeah you're hearing the screams and the from both and movies. the drum beat underneath it is yeah. from the beatles it's from the end yeah. of abbey road it's 
it's crazy. incredible. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. And it's this marker in time that like you said at the very least it'll never be. I mean, it's a landmark hip hop record for sure, and it it cannot be made again. I mean, nowadays in the world of SoundCloud and stuff, people yeah. get away with stuff and just post it. But the the impact that that record had is is uh, is enormous. But then they go from that, so they get the sampling stops being a thing that they're allowed to do essentially <laughs> because Biz Markie takes the hit. So then they just go back to their punk rock roots, pick mm-hmm. up their instruments, get a recording studio, and just yeah. start making the music themselves and sampling that music and doing yep. stuff like Check Your Head and Ill Communications. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to their hip-hop roots. They bring in Mixmaster Mike. He starts scratching records for them from Hello Nasty, I think, until basically the end of... I think Mixmaster their... Mike was with them from the end, uh, yeah. from there to the end at that point, yeah. But like they went through all of these bumps and and turns but then also like they became so like progressive minded from their their beginnings like the whole story of the beastie boys is incredible and and what i want to boil this down to is that the beastie boys specifically after adam died had a very strict rule that they would never let their music be used for commercials that they were very anti their music being used for commercialization so that makes this all the more funny. All the better. All the better. Like, and just to put a pin on the BC Boy side of it for a moment, there's a, a really nice uh, documentary slash, it's actually like a performance on stage of the two surviving Beasties talking about the career. It's called The Beastie Boy's Story. It is on Apple TV Plus, I believe, yep. which ensures that not nearly enough people will get to watch it. But if you have access, I highly recommend it. It's... Um, it's a great story, and and again, very moving at the end there, where the the sort of realization that when uh, MCA died, everyone was like, "Are you going to continue?" And they're basically just like, "There's no Beastie Boys without like we, we literally the idea of doing anything without him is laughable." Yeah. Um, and uh, they have now just, I guess, devoted the rest of their lives to protecting the legacy of the music that they made together. Uh, and I'm sure they'll do other things, but I I really do respect that a great I- deal. I am and yeah, like you said, this that I'm a fan of of artists where because again we talked about Run DMC, they could find any other DJ, but once Mm -hmm. Jam Master J was gone, it was like, well, then there's no Run DMC. Like, like we are the three of us. Like, it's it's a weird situation, and I I can see both sides. You know, I I was just talking to somebody about how the Foo Fighters are continuing after Taylor Hawkins' death, and. I really do see both sides of this because on the one hand, I'm like, every band's dynamic is different. Every Everyone's going to have a different thing. And for every Led Zeppelin being like, we're not Led Zeppelin without John Bonham, it's over. I can also appreciate the fact that a band like the Foo Fighters, those guys, I mean, even ignoring the musicians, think about all the people who work with that organization, yeah. <laughs> how many people depend on, I mean, it is like you are taking the, uh, a life, you're taking a career away from Dozens of people, potentially. Dozens of people. But there's also, I mean, the flip side is like, sometimes you continue on and it doesn't really work. And it doesn't like, feel the same. Exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. I, my my only point sold... is that I feel like there's no right or wrong answer to no. this. It's it's very circumstantial and it depends on the scenario. Like, I don't, yeah. I wasn't surprised at all. I'm like, yeah, I believe that the Foo, and of course the Foo Fighters started as a Dave Grohl project anyway, so it doesn't feel like... Taylor Hawkins wasn't even on the first. Yeah, it'd be rec- different I mean, if David yeah. died and they're like, well, we're just going to find another singer and keep going. <laughs> if Dave Grohl died and they were like, we're going to keep doing the Foo Fighters, people would be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, I would think so. So I'm going to say two things tied to almost the exact same world. Mm. Um, you know, Blink-182, when Tom left, they they 
continued as Blink sure. 182 with a different person. And they definitely sold their records. And, and pe- there are people who really love California and Nine and think that they're yeah. great albums. To me, they're good albums that don't feel like Blink 182 albums. Sure. And that's and totally fair. And I knew people who thought there. that they were better live with yeah. Matt on guitar. I mean, than I with can Tom. understand that. But yeah, yeah. I, I think about would Blink 182 continue? if say Tom or Mark had died. Like I think that there's there's a difference between someone leaving the band and someone who's kind of your brother passing away. Because if they sure. leave the band, I think deep down in your heart, there's always the chance that they come back. That they, they back. that they might come back. Like and I think even in the same boat, I think that if Trey or Mike was to pass away, I don't know if Billy Joe would keep doing Green Day because there'd be that emotional hole of like since I was 17, I've yeah. played with these two yeah. people. Green Day is a good one. I, I Just pure speculation on my part, but I would think that they would probably stop. Only I, because yeah. Billy Joe has is the front man of like 11 bands. Yeah, and he just <laughs> not move Green on Day, and, and I feel like else, he could yeah. very easily just like, and he could go out with a band like The Long Shot or um, uh, Foxborough Hot Tubs or anything like that and throw Green Day songs into the mix. Uh, and out, no one would object. He yeah. could even go out solo and play Green Day material with a random. But band. I think that yeah, playing playing any Green Day music that Mike and Trey aren't a part of would just feel and wrong. calling it Green Day. Yeah, and calling it Green Day would yeah. feel yeah, yeah, yeah. wrong. Um, exactly. But yeah, so that that's that's <laughs> that's our little brief history. We've done a great job of talking about everything that's not specifically the song Twister. So let's talk yeah. about this minute long fake commercial that al did (laughs) selling the game twister as the beastie boys so first of all because this blew my mind did you know that the words to this are verbatim from a twister commercial uh i knew that probably a decent chunk of it but i did not know that they said all the girls and homeboys in a commercial okay they changed a couple words (laughs) um and in the original version, it said Milton Bradley's got a new one, not Milton Bradley's got, got a, a deaf, deaf one. one. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like I've seen the when I was listening to it today, I did not know this for sure. But when I was listening to this, I was like, I know for a fact that I've watched a Twister commercial that has the spin the spinner and call the shots. Twister ties you up in a knot. line, yep. And then calling out the colors. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this, uh, I found a YouTube link. We can share it on the things, uh, from 1966. There is a Twister ad that the script of the ad is with the exception of a couple word choices verbatim, the words to this song. Yeah. So this is literally him taking a Twister commercial and putting it in the mouths of the Beastie Boys, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, it is so interesting and brilliant taking this yeah like the this snottiest group he could find at this point in time the most obnoxious snotty street guys and having them pitch this wholesome family game in a fake commercial but but, but yes also a real no. commercial but yes and no because so i was thinking about this as you're talking about this i'm thinking am i a hypocrite right because i love this thing but i hate something like the brady bunch and my reason for hating the brady Very bunch similar. is that he just took lyrics that were already written for the Brady Bunch theme and put mm-hmm. it over top of the safety dance. But I think the difference is that this actually 
feels like it's also making a statement about yes. the types of commercials yes. at that time. Exactly. We were exactly. absolutely bringing in these weird celebrities who had no business selling a specific product and being like, hey, do a do a song. Ver-. And it still happens. We're still, <laughs> the nationwide song is now being sung by random ass country artists every couple months. Yeah. Like, no, th- I mean, this is um, very much like in terms of presentation, it is very, very similar to Brady Bunch. And it is very similar to um, uh, Bev- Beverly Hillbillies, which yes. we have not talked about yet, but is coming up. Um, but this, I totally agree with you. Those, oh, I'm not going to get into Beverly Hillbillies yet, but Brady Bunch does not feel like it's saying anything, really. Um, it's just a funny juxtaposition. This, yes, you're right. Th- there's definitely some social commentary and some some messaging in this track that is way more interesting and makes it... Um, all the more like you know satisfying to to think about yeah no for sure it's uh i i mean i really do love this track and it it does capture like like you said he absolutely nails everything that the beastie boys were in 1988 yeah. like it's the way that they trade off the right foot blow right foot blow like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, yeah exactly and i love i for whatever reason just that from mb like <laughs> at the very yeah, end at the very end is so enjoyable yeah. to me and the yeah is i mean if you listen to any of license to ill that sample it's or a version of that sample yeah. is everywhere yeah we're making an ad. Napping yeah. ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm. He listens to the podcast every week. Yep. Has he been canceled? Wait, is Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Oh, okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. <laughs> so um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Horror Movie Night! Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. It is mind-blowing. And heartbreaking. How many original scripts are written every year but are never made? So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! It's something we've never talked about before. Do you? Were you a fan of um, Tim and Eric? I have shockingly seen very little to know Tim and Eric. Interesting. I know that Chris from One Hit Thunder, massive Tim and Eric fan. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of my friends went to the college that Tim and Eric went to in oh, Philadelphia. Really? They came from Philly. They went to Temple University. That's right. I um, forgot about that. Yeah, but, that, but that, yeah. so much so that like my friend had film classes with 
the professor that I guess one of the more famous characters in Tim and Eric is based on. Right. And he's like, wow. He's like, you you look at him and you're like, mm-hmm. Yep. That's, <laughs> that's- well, anyway, the, the reason why I brought them up is because it was a real hallmark of them, especially early on, although they've still done it. I mean, they've kind of, those two have sort of gone their separate ways, although they still do stuff together from time to time. But something that they love to do was fake commercials. Yes. And they would make fake ads. And it's funny, they just recently did a thing that's on YouTube that's worthwhile. It's very funny and and you'll get a, a lot of laughs out of it. But um, talking about how this interesting thing that happened to them of like them making, they made fake commercials for like Papa John's and uh, they did a whole series of ads promoting like Shrek the third. <laughs> um, just the two of them being like, you got to check out this movie. Um, and that process eventually led to them being asked to make actual ads <laughs> Which then, as far as their fans were concerned, it was like, oh, wait, now Tim and Eric are making an ad for Absolute Vodka, or they're making an ad for Totino's Pizza Rolls, and no one knew whether it was real or fake, which they loved. Yeah. You know, they were like, that's great. Like, we don't want people to know. It doesn't, it shouldn't matter whether we actually got paid by this company to make this or we're doing it (laughs) completely on our own with no context. And the whole idea of like that being a commentary on commercialism, where commercialism and art intersect. Um, and that is a thing that I love. Like I'm thinking yeah. about that and I'm like, I think about the sketch comedy that I like the most mm-hmm. and like SCTV and the state are two huge examples of like, yeah. those are sketch comedy shows that are almost just parodies of television. Like the, yes. the construct of television. Exactly. Um, more so than like an SNL, you know, like an SNL or a man TV that was that was sketch in such a wide scope. We're going to tackle politics. Some of this is mm-hmm. just going to be, hey, it's some people hanging out on a house in their house and something weird happens. But yeah. like so much of well, SCTV just within its name. But even I would say ninety percent of the sketches that you would see on the state in the nineties were like it was a parody on how we commercially sell ideas on television exactly exactly Um, that and that's something that's fascinating uh two films that my friend made that i absolutely love i actually we should in retrospect i should have hit him up to do this because this is totally his fucking jam is is fake commercials uh have you ever seen wnuf halloween special or the out there mega halloween tape you know, I have never, but it has been on my radar for a, a while. Yeah, I'm, I'm overdue to watch it. I know about it. But for both of those, my friend Chris, who made them, like he sat down and was just like, I'm going to make like 70 fake commercials from the 80s or for the out there Halloween mega tape. Like I'm going to make mm-hmm. a shit ton of fake commercials that would have been on TV in 1993. Yeah. And like being so meticulous with like, this is the, you know, it's... It, you listen to him talk about it and it there's so much thought that was put into it where it's like, what time was this show that you're watching this tape of aired? Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. were you going to get a lot more of the infomercials and like the kind of almost red band movie trailers or was mm-hmm. it playing in the middle of the afternoon where it's like a lot of toy commercials aimed at kids? Like, yeah, yeah it was yeah. very, very thought out of like, this is what they were, not only these were the types of commercials, these were the types of commercials that would play in this specific time slot, <laughs> that time period. But I love that. Yeah, this is this is kind of, I would say that this album actually doesn't have as much of the cutting satire as some of the previous ones did, 
this which makes this short like 90 second track almost stand out more because it's, it it's, really uh, yeah. is saying something about it's not even 90 seconds it's like a minute six or something <laughs> like that i mean it, it is impressive how much uh yeah how how much messaging and uh commentary we get in such a small package here because this really does um again it's it's funny um the bc boys come back he does a brief moment of intergalactic and a polka um yeah down the line that's in polka power i think um and uh but that's it he doesn't come back to the bc boys again after this and my initial thought was like it's kind of a shame that for a group as you know incredibly important and iconic as the bc boys that they get very little representation in the grand scheme of al's world but actually using the license to ill style of what they did in this way i think i don't know if it would be better than i'm not sure we could get better than this in terms of making an impact i think it'd be also hard to boil down the rest of their catalog into something like Mm -hmm. because it is like ill communication it's like you literally have a complete like 90s track like sure shot that is pure unadulterated 90s hip-hop and then immediately the next single is Sabotage, which is like just straight hardcore punk from the 80s type song. So I think yeah. that it would be tough because they dabbled in so many genres at that point. It would be tough to boil it down to where someone could definitively be like, oh, this is a send up to the Beastie Boys. Anymore. It's so true. And as yeah. I'm saying it, yeah, like the idea of even a full Al parody of like Intergalactic, a part of like as I say it, I'm like, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if that would have been great. Uh, possibly not. Um, and I don't think they were ever at the. I, I guess that was the other thing I was going to say. Intergalactic would have been the one for like later in his yeah, career. Later that was a big enough hit. He could have done it. They never really hit the highs of as much as they continued to be in the public eye. And they had these like they were a cultural phenomenon with License to Ill. And mm-hmm. then I think they actually in the 90s. I could be totally wrong. I'm not looking at any numbers to justify this. But I think by the time we get to the 90s, they become so much more of an MTV band than a radio band. Not to say that their That's songs weren't played on the radio, but like MCA, something that people don't talk about enough, MCA directed almost all of their videos that you remember. Like he really sat down in the director's chair and, you know, the MTV Video Music Awards or Music Video Awards, I, I can't remember. They have the two things that are basically the same fucking abbreviation. Um, they they you know they won a video vanguard award and like you know i think about like michael jackson won that and like absolutely and like the beastie boys won that and like absolutely and you kind of look at like who's been winning it in the last couple of years and because mm-hmm. music videos have f- stumbled so far from the art form that they are like i would say the only group in the last 20 years that i could definitively say like these are this is what a video vanguard band would be would be like okay go (laughs) where the video is such a like it's not just a band on stage playing a song like you you will be hard pressed to find a video that the beastie boys released between like ill community check your head and beyond that's just like live footage cut together with them on stage like they were many movies that they were making for these videos at that point adam (laughs) yausch also founded um the uh film production company oscilloscope yes um, which still exists to this day 
uh, and puts out some really interesting, um, a lot of documentaries, a lot of music stuff, but also some just really great yeah. sort of narrative films. Like, I, um, yeah. And that's I what I was hinting at it before. Like they were saying on stage, like the idea of this group continuing without Adam Yausch was just like non-existent. Yeah. He um, was so he, much, he of was the... so much a, a part of the creative process and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and we'll, we'll end on this cause I don't know. I mean, we're going to, it's funny cause right now. Right now we're doing these albums where we get maybe one or two music videos to put on the music video list. And it's hilarious to think that as music videos died out of the norm, that's when Al starts doing like 12 videos. Classic, <laughs> right? Of course. Yeah. Every song gets a video later. Yeah. After no one's interested. It's almost, uh, you know, the Toxic Avenger movie that I'm sure is important to both of us. Oh, sure. Um, Lloyd Kaufman has said that the reason they made that movie was that they read a newspaper article that said that the horror movie was dead and they're like, perfect, let's make a horror movie. <laughs> like, like, See, that's what we need. You need people like that in the world. That's so important. And that's, yeah, yeah, but absolutely. I, I hope that we get to a point, I don't think that we'll ever have an MTV again. I don't think there'll ever be a point where there's this, this channel playing music videos. But yeah. I would love for us to, I would love for there to be a reason and I don't think there will be because the music industry is just fucking dying in debt right now in a sad, yes. sad way. But like, I miss when a music video premiere fucking mattered. Like when Michael Jackson's Black or White was simultaneously played on like six different channels because it was that big of a deal that this new music video was coming out. Like, I don't know if it means like we play music videos along with previews before movies. Like, I just want... I want music videos to matter again because how many amazing directors did we get because they were cutting their teeth making these weird abstract like Spike Jones, Spike Jones, I was going to say who worked with the Beastie Boys yeah. a lot. Spike Jones actually directed the documentary I'm talking yeah. about. Um, yeah, but that's like you got these Michelle Gondry, were... Jonathan Glazer, Chris yeah. Cunningham, all these like yeah, there's incredible just cutting incredible their teeth directors. on strange stuff that like David Fincher, David Fincher's entire career started doing music videos. Sure. Like I, sure. I just, I, I kind of, I'm kind of bummed that there, there's probably this whole generation of young directors who might not get the opportunities that they could have gotten in the heyday of the music video days to prove in like four minutes, how creative they could be. Yeah. Um, now it's kind of like, if you want to even have a chance to make a big budget movie, it's like, well, You've got to make about 14 zero budget movies, hope that one of them pops off somehow, mm -hmm. and then maybe Marvel will let you make the Eternals. Like, <laughs> like yeah, 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 yeah. Or, yeah, figure out a way to write a script that you can make on your own at home for a hundred bucks yeah. and then shop it around and hope that, you know, Shudder or some, uh, you know, like smaller, um, distribution company will pick it up yeah it's it's tough i i i don't know i i still to this day think that I, the music I agree with video, you I, I yeah it's one of my favorite forms of entertainment i could sit and just watch music videos for hours still. yeah and i mean never say never i mean just because mtv doesn't come back doesn't mean that music videos might not find a way to resurge in some in some meaningful way at the end of the day people are looking for content as we like to say, and uh, short content is definitely very yeah. popular right now compared to long form. <laughs> and the idea that a music video is a piece of long form content is beyond my belief that I'm no. saying that. But yeah, com compared to a seven second clip on TikTok that someone gets four seconds into before they swipe away. That's why um, I was impressed with like, are you familiar with um, Melanie Martinez? Um, uh, maybe not. She's like a, she's kind of like an anti-pop star. I would uh -huh. say that she falls into like, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on who. Oh, like she's very Billie Eilish 
in a way. Okay. Like very dark. So she's only put out two albums. Both of her albums are concept albums, which is extra mm-hmm. impressive since the first one, she was like 19 when she made it. Um, and oh i'm sorry i just looked it up the album crybaby yeah that's her i i do know that record yes so for both of those albums she i'm pretty sure she directed all of them herself mm. there is a music video for almost every single track um but wow. the second one that she put out in 2019 k through 12 she released the album on the same day that she released a feature length movie on youtube that was every song's music video with just like scenes to connect all the story together a la like wow. Pink Floyd the wall you know sure. <laughs> like, like so there are these like young creative people out there who are like no like that I wrote an album the album's a story and I will tell my story cinematically using music videos as the format to do that but I uh I do I'm I'm dude I it's so I many mean, I'm now, summers. I'm not remembering Beyonce did that a few years ago with Lemonade. Lemonade, that, yeah, that came out as a concert, as a film. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there's still people trying to keep it alive. It's just, it's, it's harder than it used to be to keep people's attention. Yeah. Which I is just really miss those summers, against, man. You know, those summers you would just sit in the basement, have MTV on, and like be doing other shit with your friends. But sure, absolutely. every once in a while, a video would come on. You'd be like, "Oh, guys, shut up! This is the best one." <laughs> <laughs> you were doing that when you weren't uh, doing running that scam on your video store where you were getting five movies at a time with free returns, putting them uh, out that's, of business. That's maybe baby. my favorite story you've told on this show. I don't remember what episode that was, but people should go back and listen to the story where just, Matt. Uh, Drove a mom and pop video store out of business. Look, the the, the <laughs> simplest way to hear that story is to start at the beginning of the podcast and re- re-listen to every single episode. There you episode go. That's the move. Times. If you don't know that story, that's on you guys. <laughs> go back to the beginning and then catch up with us, and then you're going to know what I'm talking about. I was just about to wrap up the episode, and I realized we didn't even rank the song yet. So we, we should, should probably, probably rank the song. I know. We took a lot of <laughs> tangents on this. I feel like this is maybe our most tangential episode ever. But uh, again, if you go back and listen to them all, you'll be able to know, tell us if that's true. Um, so we're calling this an original song. Yep. Uh, even though it is, no, this is an original song. Absolutely. It's not even, I was like, I don't know why he's making this a debate here. Well, again, because of how (laughs) he's took the original lyric, like he, there's some like George of the jungle element exists here, uh, in terms of taking something that already existed, but yes, no, you're right. It's an original song. I apologize for even considering that it wouldn't be. Dare you. Um, how dare I? Why don't you go first, Matt? All right. I think I figured this out. Um, the, I, I reserve the right to change my mind on this later. Uh, Great. Maybe. Yeah, we've opened that door now. No, but I <laughs> I know that I like this more than Velvet Elvis. I don't think I like it more than a lot of the other originals that we've talked about, nor do I think I like it more than the last original that we have to talk about on this. So I'm still keeping it kind of low, but I'm realizing that... <laughs> there's a good chance that there's like four songs from even worse in my top 10 original songs very soon. Uh, I'm putting Twister between Christmas at Ground Zero and Slime Creatures from Outer Space. Wow. Okay. Yeah, pretty high well, up there, actually. That is pretty high up. I'm impressed. I'm definitely, as much as I enjoy this, I feel like just the nature of it, it's such this small little bite-sized piece. Like, it's clever. It's really fun, but just the nature of how short and commercially it is, I just I don't think of it the same way as I do some of these other ones. Um, so I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it right next to another even worse track, and also next to another one that you ranked it against. 
Yeah, I'm going to put it in between slime creatures from outer space and stuck in a closet with Vanna White. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's still, you know, reasonably high. It's not bad. It's certainly <laughs> for, not bad. Again, a- I think this is really clever. I, you know, it's it's super clever. It's super fun. It goes down smooth. But it's also just a it's a very, you know, it's like it borders on being a sketch yes. more than a song. I, I think that's fair. All right. Yeah. Well, that is next week. We wrap up even worse. My God, it went so fast. It's it's wild how quickly we run through specifically like Polka Party in this one. His his ten to eleven track albums seem to yeah. fly so much more than the twelve track albums. I know twelve track way too long. Al. <laughs> like that one extra track just really makes those episodes feel like they yeah, drag. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we'll be we'll be back with our final episode of Even Worse, and then we're getting dangerously close to being done the 80s already for weird al wow and after that it like this is kind of the end of the like year to year releases as well then we yeah then then we get some big gaps when we get into the 90s and beyond yeah that's good he deserved a break he did We're making an ad. Napping ads. This is where I think if we're doing it right, Alec Baldwin comes in. He says a couple things. Mm -hmm. He listens to the podcast every week. Has he been canceled? Was Alec Baldwin the one who killed somebody? I hear that Gary Sinise is free. Okay, great. He hasn't worked since 2020. (laughs) So um, what would be the script that we would have Gary Sinise say for the Napping Through Happy Hour podcast? Listen to this damn show. Damn it. The Napping Through Happy Hour podcast brought to you by Geekscape. Real life, real drama, real time. I'm Gary Sinise. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. In the darkest corners of the internet, a nameless, formless entity has been growing. No one dares question where it was created or what it wants, but those who have been entranced by its musings chant its blood-curdling name in unison. Horror Movie Night! Find Horror Movie Night on your favorite podcasting app or at hmnpodcast.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 